Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hi, welcome back. This is another awesome episode of Beyond the Sessions from Securely Attached. We have Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. We have Dr. Emily Upshur. So, okay, so a few weeks ago, we recorded an episode on what to do when your child doesn't listen when it's a matter of safety. In this instance, and you can go back to this episode, it was a toddler who was eating blueberries and leaving them on the ground for her baby brother to find, and the mom was worried that the baby would choke, but she didn't know how to set an appropriate consequence for her toddler. And in that episode, we were really focused on helping this mom reframe the problem and like shift from trying to figure out what consequences to use to instead thinking in terms of like, how do I incorporate more guidelines and rules and responsibilities to help scaffold the situation for her daughter? But in our conversation in that episode, we also mentioned that there's maybe a whole other episode that we could do about when consequences really are appropriate and effective, and then like, how do you actually implement them in real life? Because consequences and punishments and discipline can be super confusing for parents, especially in this age of sort of gentle, positive parenting. How do you do that while still not being permissive, but how do you, like some parents think the only way to not, to have authority is to be very punitive. It's confusing. I think parents are getting a lot of mixed messages on like how to effectively discipline kids. So let's pick up where we left off. And I think it could be helpful to start by maybe describing some common instances that parents might find themselves in where consequences might like are going to be useful. So maybe... Rebecca, do you have any like ideas of examples of that? What comes to mind? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, is separate from a specific example. It's it's the idea that consequences are a tool that can actually be helpful. The goal is still it's a consequence for a behavior, but the goal is still to help your child learn something valuable they need to learn about that behavior. So what comes to mind for me is, you know, physical aggression, not for a two-year-old, not for a three-year-old, but, you know, for let's say a six or seven-year-old who sometimes when they get really angry, you know, may hit or scratch. To me, that's a great time to have a consequence because it will help them learn that that behavior is not okay. And we do need them to learn that. And again, this being on a uh, podcast is a lot less nuanced than an individual session where I might ask what's going on. And there might be a situation just to say off the bat where it's not appropriate, right? However, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's like, you know, across the board, I wouldn't need to know a kid and family and all the rest. But you really need your six and seven year old to learn that, you know, when they hit, if they're angry, like they're, they're, they're going to be at that age, social consequences for that and potentially school consequences for that. And to me, it's okay to have a very logical consequence, which is, um, we, you know, we leave where we are, let's say, you know, like looks like Mm -hmm. it's too hard to be at the playground right now. 
right? Like, again, it's not sort of like, that's the consequence. And it's always, I I feel like it's always important to talk with families about that you want to tell your kid a consequence in advance, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like if it's a behavior you're working on, right? It's a behavior that you have noticed is an issue for your kid and you're coming up with a system (laughs) to address that behavior. And one of part of the system is positively reinforcing when they're not doing, you know, there's a lot of things to it, but part of the system is, and here's the consequence. If that behavior happens, the consequence might be leaving the playground. If a child is being aggressive, the consequence of, you know, whining your way through breakfast that you hate breakfast might be that you end up skipping breakfast that day because you run out of time to, you know, I mean, some of it is sort of just a natural consequence, the way something might unfold. And some of it can be something predetermined, but I think the phrasing is so important because what, where I hear a big pitfall of parents and I, I know I'm sort of touching on a lot of different things at the same time, but it's kind of phrasing it as sort of like, well, this, I told you this would happen. You know, or like that's right. what you get. We talked about this. That's what you get. You know, right? Um, as like, opposed to, ooh, this was hard. Like this was a hard morning. It was re- you had a really hard time just accepting what was for breakfast, even though we talked about it last night. And so now there's no time for breakfast. I know tomorrow will go better. Or I know, t- like you're still on your child's team. I think there's this misconception that when there's a consequence as a parent, somehow you're setting yourself up as an adversary against your kid. And that's mm-hmm. why there's reluctance to do it. And I think a misconception about it when in fact a consequence is a behavioral tool and it's also something that's just the way the world works. Um, and to that end can be pretty seamlessly integrated into gentle parenting, positive parenting, whatever we want to call it. I'll stop there. I'm not entirely sure that made sense, but I will let you guys be the judge. (laughs) There's so many things that you said that I want to circle back to, but first, Emily, I want to hear what you're thinking about this too. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's a same, same with me. I think, you know, um, I I guess I'll reorn myself because I was thinking Rebecca at the end of what you just said was so important. Like they're holding that experience for them as non-punitive, but also if often they displace the blame on you, right? Like, and now you made me late for school because I didn't get the breakfast that I wanted, right? And I think we can still say, oh, yes, it was really hard for you to pick a breakfast and now you're going to be late for school. And that's hard, right? And just validate that moment. That is the natural consequence. I always say to parents in sessions, like, that's kind of the punishment. You don't need to punish more. The punishment already sort of happened, right? They're going to be late for school. They're upset about that. And that's the natural consequence slash if you reframe it as punishment. Like, there's no need to say, um, revisit it in this more punitive way. And I think that is an important thing about sort of like not taking it to that next level of, you know, sort of the way we interact with our kids around it. But I wanted to circle back uh, before I got excited by that comment. I wanted to circle back (laughs) to like the pre-teaching, pre-planning concept. I think that's so important. I think, you know, obviously when we're in individual sessions and, you know, we can be a little bit more attuned to the specific needs of each child, but I do think it's important for parents to be attuned to the specific needs of their child when thinking about consequences, right? And when thinking about environments that we put our children in, if we know that going to the bouncy trampoline park is really overstimulating and really difficult for your child, and it's always going to end in a problem, you know, there's two approaches. Either you pre-teach, like, oh, it's really hard to go to the trampoline park. Tomorrow you have a birthday party there. Let's talk about either 
curtailing the time there or what will happen if you get dysregulated or, you know, all these things like pre-teaching, but also pre-planning. So you're going to pre-teach them, like, this is what might happen. This is what's going on. These are some of the things we've seen in our repertoire of experience. And here are some of the plans that we might, you know, that we might play out. And I think it can get complicated. So I think it's always useful for parents to sort of play out some of those scenarios, troubleshoot, right? What if they last for an hour, but then they conk out? What if they, you know, insist on staying till cake? What if, you know, it's, they just have to, you know, like they just can't make it past 15 minutes, right? What if their best friend comes and it all sort of settles down again, right? Like I think it's really, really important. And that's why it's very tricky for parents with quote discipline and consequences is there's a lot of variables in the equation. And as many as you can think ahead of time and trying to troubleshoot and pre-teach, pre-talk with your kid, I think the better. You know, of course that can't happen in all scenarios, but if we do see some sort of patterns, like the, you know, this family that we had were mentioning in the last podcast, where this keeps happening, right? Then we can use those as teaching moments for how to play out the the consequences that might happen. Yeah. And I think you bring up a nice point, Emily, which is like, there's like kind of layers to this planning, right? There's the internal planning that a parent might do. I'm going to look for patterns. I'm going to identify trouble spots, right? I'm going to anticipate when my kid's going to have, I know this is an area where my kid struggles in. And then I'm going to imagine all the ways that it could go south internally by myself, not necessarily with my kid. I'm going to think of like, okay, why, like, what are some of the things that might make my kid more vulnerable to being aggressive or losing their cool or doing some behavior that I know that is, we're working on, you know, reducing. If I can reduce their vulnerabilities before we get there, right? Making sure they had a snack before the birthday party, making sure we had a little time that was like, quiet and relaxed. Maybe I'm not making sure we're not rushing to the birthday party because I know that could be a trigger for a lot of kids. Anything that we could do to kind of lower the the vulnerable the vulnerability load going into that, you know, potentially friction-filled space. But then I'm going to think about okay, what else could go wrong? What's my plan if it does? I know what my plan's going to be. And then thinking of a couple things that my kid might be able to have some, build some insight around. And that's when I'd bring in the conversation with the kid and say, okay, hey, we're just like you said, Emily. But before I even do this, the step with the kid, I would do some internal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to know like, okay, what's my bandwidth? What's my threshold? If my kid hits someone and I am I going to really be able to calmly walk up to my child Step, step, pull them aside, remind them that this was the consequence and calmly go knowing that my child might have a really hard time with me holding that consequence. Like some of it is like a parental regulation plan too. Like a hundred percent. Cause the other thing, and this is what Rebecca was saying that made me think, Oh, I want to come back to that was when you, the difference between like a planned consequence and a reactive consequence. Like, I'm super guilty of that. I think we all are of like, we hit our limit. We've been super patient. We've been trying really hard to, you know, sidestep meltdowns and it's been a tricky day. And all of a sudden, like, we hit our breaking point and now we're throwing consequences at our kid more like a threat, more like a, you know, 
if you don't do this or if you do this one more time, that's it. Like I've definitely done that for sure, but I think it's way more effective when you can present it in advance and it's more of like a piece of a much more complex strategy. For addressing a behavior that's an ongoing issue. Like Mm -hmm. sure, if your kid out of the blue does something egregious, there might be a consequence that you couldn't plan. But most of the time when I talk with families about consequences, it's because there's a pattern of behavior that doesn't seem like it's just a, you know, Mona Delahook talks about bottom up versus top down behaviors and consequences are most effective for top down behaviors, meaning that there's some cognitive awareness to it. It's not like your kid is going out and hitting, you know, on purpose, obviously they're losing control a little bit and there's an impulse issue, but it's not, it's not in the context of a complete dysregulated meltdown that's coming from, let's say a sensory issue or a nervous system issue. And I think that's important too, because I, you know, in my book about tantrums, I sort of talk about consequences as much as they've been thrown out generally across modern parenting philosophies, which I don't think is appropriate. They're also not appropriate for emotional expressions that kids may not be able to control. So for example, a tantrum, I don't think a tantrum or even aggression within the context of a tantrum, I don't think consequences are going to be effective for that. And that's another thing that I always talk with parents about is can we track it? Like no one wants to do a consequence if it's not going to be effective. Like the whole point of a consequence is that it decreases the likelihood and frequency of a behavior. And so if you're talking about dysregulation, there's no reason to think it's going to be effective. If you're talking about a behavior that has some level of regulation attached to it, um, or it's just so egregious that it's just not acceptable, like your kid starts hurling glasses at a restaurant or something, you know, Mm -hmm then it's a consequence. But I think it's more like I've noticed my kid has a hard time doing this. And I'm going to add, as you said, a consequence to part of this larger structure of addressing that behavior. And we're going to talk about it. And they know that they're going to lose 15 minutes of screen time if this happens. And we talk about it. And when it happens, it's not like, well, you knew that would happen. It's just sort of like, oh, bummer, that's 15 minutes of screen time. You know, like this is a system we both agreed to. If it's an older kid, you can both like sign off on it. Kids love like, you know, contracts, as opposed to kind of what you're talking about a reactive consequence, which is sort of, you know, I don't like the way you're acting. And so you lose your iPad for the whole night, you know, which is just not going to go over that well for good reason. Plus, you're going to end up saying something you know, your kid's going to say, I don't care. And you're going to say, well, then for tomorrow night too, you you end up like, you know, forbidding their iPad for the next year. And everybody knows it's just about anger and not about reducing a behavior, which is what consequences are a tool for. Right. And then you can get into a really slippery slope of like, if you are having these reactive consequence deliveries, oftentimes you get pushed to say something that you can't actually follow through on or you don't actually want to follow through on because, hey, maybe you do want your kids to be able to have some screen time on Saturday morning so you can sleep in um, or whatever. Like, So it's like you also, the reason why it's so important to think about consequences in advance and have them sort of planned out in advance as like something we all are aware of as part of this plan to reduce this behavior and build this skill is that you can pick a consequence that one, is relevant to the situation is motivating to the child. They have buy-in. They want to avoid losing this thing or they want to earn this thing or whatever. 
but also you can enforce it because you know what you're picking. Like a lot of times when we're reactively doling out consequences, we don't actually follow through on half the things we threaten because we aren't, we don't want to actually take away screen time for the whole week. And then, or we don't actually want to, we're not going to not take them to the birthday party that we RSVP'd for and know that that would be socially kind of, you know, misaligned if we like, you know, we want to show up to that birthday party and not cancel last minute. So like, obviously there's certain circumstances where it'd be like, you know what, we can't make it to that birthday party. My kid can't handle this right now. So we can't go. That's one thing. But if it's like, it's just about, well, it's like, can- I think of canceling in Halloween and canceling Christmas, right? right. That's what, it's you know, like, forget it. You're not getting any presents for Hanukkah this year. Meanwhile, it's like October, you know, <laughs> and like, that's obviously not going to happen. <laughs> I always say like, you got, you got to leave some money in the bank is what I say to parents, mm. right? Like, if you have no I money, that expression. then you have nothing to negotiate with. Like, if you take it all away, then what's the incentive? The kid's like, screw it. I'll be bad. Right. You know, like, okay, then what do I have to lose? Nothing. You just took it all away, right? So I always say to parents, like, you got to leave money in the bank. And you also don't want to take something away, to Sarah, your point that shoots you in the foot, right? Or something mm-hmm. you really want to do. Like, we're not going to Disneyland, but you really want to go to Disneyland with your- Or you bought the tickets and you'd be out like a ridiculous amount right. of money. Like Exactly. And I think, and I think that like that idea of having sort of more measured, curtailed consequences in bits and pieces, like Rebecca, 15 minutes of screen time, or I'll even say like five, because then you got like five more times to build up to, you know, 15, like to take, you know, to have this be like a consequence. But I think what parents really struggle with is consistency. Myself, you know, everybody, right? Because Mm -hmm. these situations are sometimes unpredictable. Sometimes they're predictable. And like we've talked about, and sometimes they're not. So that's when you end up in the I'm taking away your screen time for the rest of your life, right? Like kind of situations. And I think, again, thinking about what are your child's incentives, what's motivating to them, and then having them in your mind, just in the back of your mind, always as like broken down into um, more measurable categories can help with that consistency. And they start to know, you know, like if I have X, Y, and Z behavior at a birthday party, we leave. But you got to be consistent about that. Right. And I think that that pre-planning and breaking it down into measurable chunks and sort of communicating some of that to the child in terms of pre-teaching them what will happen during certain things when possible, um, but also pre-teaching yourself. All right, I'm going to take away this amount of these things, you know, if this happens is part of the trickiness of like being on your, I call A-game parenting, like really being on your A-game so that you can not be reactive have thought through some of this and then sort of lay it out in a more reasonable fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of that with everything that you both are saying. I, I would just add two things um, that just occurred to me as you were talking, Emily, one is with consistency. Of course, we all have to strive for consistency. And if you're putting a new consequence plan into place, of course, it's most important that you're consistent kind of in the beginning and that your kids get it. And, and just to go back to something we've talked about a lot, kids actually feel safe when there's Mm -hmm. a plan in place and you stick to it and you're consistent, even if they're angry in the moment. Um, there's times you can't be consistent and it's just important to name that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to say like, this is a time that we would typically, you know, 
leave the birthday party, but it's, you know, 25 degrees outside and daddy needed the car for something. So we're going to stay because here we are, <laughs> like, we can't right. leave. Like, yeah. you know, and, you know, you're, so, naming, so, you're, uh, naming you're naming, what would have you're naming, you're not being consistent. And here's why I'm making a decision or, or it can be part of a repair. Like, I know I told you, you wouldn't, we weren't celebrating mm-hmm. Christmas. I was really angry. Of course, I'm not going to stick to that. Let's be, but you know, um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, because it comes up a lot with families of younger kids that I work with, is I would never recommend um, taking away like an attachment object mm-hmm. as a consequence, right? So I will have parents say, I have no leverage, which is just an interesting phrase in and of itself, right? But I think it gets to your point, Emily, of like leaving something in the bank. But um, so the only thing that matters to them is their lovey. And so I said, they can't sleep with their lovey tonight. Mm-hmm. And that to me shows that as a parent in a really understandable way, we've all been there. You're just in a very angry place and you're, you just want to see your kids suffer. And I think that's a dark side of parenting that it's okay to say out loud. Like sometimes you're just really, really, really mad and your own mm-hmm. stuff has been triggered. And it's not about changing the behavior. It's about like, I'm going to teach a lesson and it has to matter to them and they have to hurt, you know? And, yeah. um, Parents sometimes go to a place of like, I'm going to take away this one thing that I know is really comforting to them or whatever. And that's, if you find yourself inclined in that direction, again, it's human. It's okay. Like I don't want parents to feel shame around it. And also it's not appropriate. It's not the way consequences, you know, are helpful or that we recommend using them. Um, And even if you're coming at it from a more mindful way, I thought about it. The only thing that really matters to my kid is this like stuffed bear they've had since they were a month old. And so if they do this again to their little sister, I'm just going to take that away for it's like, no, that's your kid's thing. Like that's their safety object. That's their attachment. Let's put that off the table right? for consequences. It also helps likely them to regulate. And we're, I think it's important to remember, like, what is our biggest goal here? And like, Yes, like to your point, Rebecca, in the heat of the moment when you are at a breaking point, your unconscious goal may actually be to inflict some pain, to be like, I need you to feel exactly the weight of what this is doing to us. And again, like I think it's really human, but I think in terms of when you're not in that hot moment and you're really reflecting on what is my larger goal here as a parent period, but in this sort of, as we're talking about behaviors, usually it's... I want to reduce a behavior. I want my child to learn a skill. I want my child to gain more awareness and more self-control and more ability to regulate. Like that's usually the goal. And so if we want to think about it in terms of just strictly like what is going to lead to that outcome, to your point, Rebecca, sort of inflicting some level of pain or aloneness or a lack of access to a security object, it's probably going to make it harder for them to regulate, learn a new skill, practice something. And so you build insight, whatever. So like, that's why I think kind of going back to what we've been saying all along is like the more we can create a plan in our calm space that uh, is in alignment with that larger goal of teaching a skill and helping a child connect the dots. When I do this, this happens helping them to eventually be able to think about that before they act, right? These are inhibition of impulse skills. These are reflective functioning skills. These are mindful awareness skills. This is 
it takes a little bit of time and repetition to build these skills. We want to be realistic, but we also want to be efficient. And just I'll add to your list, Rebecca, of like not just attachment objects in terms of like a loved stuffed animal or, you know, thing that makes them feel sort of like comforted, but an attachment person as well. Like a lot of times we might use separating from us as the consequence. And like sometimes I do think there's actually a place for that, right? If our kid is hitting us, we might have to physically separate ourselves from them and that's the consequence. But, you know, taking away or withholding our affection or our, you know, soothing, that I think also kind of does the same undermining of our bigger goal that you were speaking about, Rebecca. Right. And I think that's when parents come to us, right? They're like, but I don't want to take away reading at night, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm there and I'm like, I'm not going to read to you, you know, Mm -hmm. which is not those like routines that are close and connected and part of what helps kids have rhythm yeah. and learn in their lives. And and I'm, I say a lot to patients in my practice, like, you know, sometimes you have to create things to be able to take, like if I have families that are like, we don't do screen time. We don't have dessert. We don't do, you know, like our lives are pretty, you know, contained. There's not a lot I can take away. These are the parents that are coming to me saying, I don't want to take away reading but I feel like I threaten that because that's the only thing I have, or I don't want to take away lovey or, you know, whatever it is that's, that doesn't feel good. And I think often doesn't feel good, um, or doesn't feel effective. And sometimes you do have to create a little bit of that, right? Like sometimes you do have to introduce a new concept. You know, I'm not saying like give your kid an iPad, but sometimes you have to really think creatively about how you can, um, find the thing that's an incentive in order to titrate it down. The other thing I wanted to say is, I know we've been talking about younger kids. I really think it's really important also to talk about older kids. I think um, parents in reactive moments, it's a little bit different, I think, for older kids. Like, I I think it is okay if you're in this heat of the moment being like, and Rebecca, you made me think of this when you said the repair, right? Like, I threatened to take away your iPad, but like, that wasn't the right, you know, like that I was really upset and angry. And I do think there's a place for parents to say, I'm getting really like process comments, right? Like I'm getting really frustrated because you're not listening and I'm having this urge to take away your iPad, but that's not effective. What should we do right now? Right? Like if they're not at a 10, if they're mm-hmm. not at a blind, they can't see it totally dysregulated place. Let's say they're at a five, right? They're getting irritated. They're angry. You know, they're maybe deep being defiant or not doing what you asked. If you can sort of self-regulate by modeling your self-regulation, right? Like I'm trying to figure out a plan that feels fair and feels right. Here I am with you. Like, let's, let's break this down. What feels right? Like you, you know, like, and I think that that's another way for older children if you're stuck. And instead of just saying, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you're losing this or you're not going to this, or, you know, if you're able to slow down and say like, all right, let's come up. I've had, I've had kids come up with amazing solutions in these scenarios, right? Like really offer amazing. Well, I think it's fair if you take away 10 minutes of my iPad, but not for the whole rest of the night, you know, and then we, you know, it doesn't have to be a negotiation, but I do think that, um, you'd be surprised with some kids that that helps organize them, regulate them, and also be internally motivated to participate in this plan of a consequence. Right. I mean, what you're describing makes me think of like Ross Green's collaborative problem solving 
Can you guys like, who wants to explain that one? Because <laughs> I feel like that's a really, like in the context of consequence, I think collaborative problem solving is actually a really useful thing to know about. I mean, I'm happy to talk about it a little. I mean, I think that the tenets of Ross Green's approach is really, you have to have a consequence that's mutually agreed upon, right? And that's a really important aspect that seems very simple, right? It works for both parties. Um, but it's actually harder than it sounds, right? Like you have to be able to agree that 10 minutes of the iPad that your kid proposed is an appropriate consequence for whatever happened, right? The other thing that Ross Green talks a lot about is like, so you try that, like, like you come up with a collaborative problem solving plan. Like if I do X, then this is the consequence But you might have to revisit that and sort of tweak it and renegotiate. It doesn't, it's not like it always happens the first time around really cleanly. So I think that's the other piece, but the tenant really is that it's, you know, motivational interviewing. The child is very invested in the solution as well because they feel like they're a participant in the plan and the parent mm -hmm. isn't overreaching, you know, they're not throwing out, you know, like we're taking away at the iPad forever and ever because they're, they're in there with the plan with their kid. Go ahead, Baraka. All right. So hold on, because we're, we're getting a little jargony, I think, for our audience. So motivational interviewing is another form of therapy that's often used for addictions and stuff that Emily just referenced that we're not going to go into here, but that's what that is. Ross Green is a famous psychologist who wrote The Explosive Child and has written many books for parents and also teachers, I think, about yep. this idea of collaborative problem solving. And, and I think the one thing I would add, Emily, is just that the focus is not only on the consequence for the thing, but also just the, the skill building of collaborative problem solving. And so you're kind of, I hate the expression killing two birds with one stone, but that's what came to me. Ooh, I have a new is, expression yeah. for that. Feeding, one, feeding two birds with one seed. I just heard that and I love it. Oh, okay. Isn't so feeding cute? two birds with one seed, you are coming up with a solution for this particular problem at hand about whatever transgression we're talking about, whatever, but also building yep. respect and trust and the skill of collaboration, um, you know, with, with a child. Um, I, I had just wanted to add, and it, it's, it's, it's sort of stepping away a little bit from the collaboration, which I think is always valuable and important, but just to say that I don't think a conversation about consequences is complete without a reference to um, incentives and rewards, which is the mm -hmm. other way to take a lot of this stuff is, is, is not, not just sort of, we'll leave the playground, let's say if X, Y, or Z happens, um, but what can we earn for demonstrating the behavior that we're working on at the playground, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's stickers or, you know, and I think reward charts and maybe we can do a whole episode on this. I think they, speaking of baby being thrown out with the bathwater, like they, they've, they've been given a really bad rep. And I have a mm -hmm. couple of parents I work with who are like, Oh my, like you give me permission to make a sticker chart. Like what, you know, yeah. they're a tool in a toolbox that's in the context of a warm and secure, loving attachment, all the rest. But it can be really effective, especially as you were talking about older kids, you know, Emily, it's like this older kid wants autonomy, this older kid wants control, this older kid wants more freedom. Those are all things they can earn if they're engaging in the positive behaviors that we want, you know, and so that's another way that collaboration can look, not just what's a fair consequence, but what, what are some things we can earn that you want, that I know you want, you want um, you know, to be able to stay home by yourself, let's say on a Friday night, like, great, what's the trust we need to build for that to happen? Well, I need to know you're doing your homework each day without having to check it. You know, that feels commensurate. 
that sort of thing. I right. love that. And to Emily's point about putting something in the bank, like for people who are like, and I think this is true. You're using a good description, Rebecca, for an older kid, but I think this is also really true for younger kids. Little kids are surprisingly good at coming up with creative solutions to problems, including things that they might want to earn or positive things they might want to work towards as an incentive. And then to tie that in with what you were saying, Emily, it was like with those families that are like, I don't really have anything to take away. Like, what do I don't have any like leverage? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you have introduced a possibility of earning something that can be the thing that doesn't get earned, you can use a reward as both a punishment and as a consequence without having to take away other stuff that you don't want to take away. That's not really relevant to this, this skill that we're trying to work on. So I do think this is kind of a nice little sweet package of like, if you can help a child identify a problem that isn't feeling good to them, they don't want to be doing X behavior either. Um, it, you know, you're aligning with them in the side and like it's you and me versus the problem versus me versus you. So you're taking away a lot of that power dynamic and power struggle issue you're identifying a problem that they're motivated to change or at least something else that they're motivated to work towards. And then if they aren't able to do that, then they aren't going to get that reward. And that is the consequence. So I think there's a way to kind of create a little um, easy strategy there. Um, If people are interested in like learning a couple other thoughts that I have on consequences and effective discipline. I have like a free guide, like a PDF workbook on effective discipline. It it started as like a, oh my gosh, I feel like people don't understand timeouts and they're using them in lots of different ways. And so I wrote, it's actually like, if you go to drsarahbryan.com forward slash timeout, you can download this free resource, but it talks about like, what's a timeout? How do we really use it? What else can we do instead? And has a lot of strategies for disciplining, uh, I would say, kids between like two to seven. It would be probably useful for. I've got older kids. I think you can definitely think about more of a conversational approach with them. But I think I hope this was helpful. I know that we threw a lot of information at you guys. So if you have follow-up questions to anything we covered in this episode, definitely let us know. And we would be happy to keep you know, iterating on this topic because it's so complicated and it's so detailed and nuanced. And so if you have more questions about discipline, let us know, send them in. You can DM me on Instagram, or you can go to our website, drsarahbrent.com and let us know your questions. And thank you so much, Emily, Rebecca, for being here. Thanks. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.